Hi everyone. Welcome back to Mystery School. Today's installment is entitled Paradox and Everything is Divine. So that might be a little unnerving right away. <laughs> and I get that. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, you'll definitely want to start with Mystery School Seeds and Mystery School Love and Strife for this one to make any sense. Or not. Dive in if you'd like. <laughs> Who am I to say? Um, I have been sort of moving somewhat chronologically in terms of some of the work of Peter Kingsley and C.G. Jung, at least trying to lay out some of these really mystical concepts in a way that we can embrace and that can sort of build on each other. But again, when you get to this point with mystical tradition, you know, all bets are off and we have to deeply enter the trickster zone, the land of paradox, the place where all intellectual concepts become really quite slippery. And this is about experience at this level is, is what I am experiencing. So I guess jump in wherever you like. If you're supposed to just hear today's lesson without the others, that's fine. But there are others if that's of interest to you. So what the hell am I talking about today? Well, last week we talked about love and strife and your homework for the week was to play with these ideas that everything in life can be perceived as though we are watching it on a screen, on a stage. And one of the great illusions of our lives is that we are the characters and the roles that we're acting out on the stage when we're actually the director. And here I'm going to enter into some more paradoxical language about the director and just deepen into that idea a little bit. I touched on it last time, but I want to deepen that idea a bit. And that is, you know, the homework was to play with that idea that I don't have to get caught up in what I see is going on. And I don't have to label things and dissect them and judge them. You know, I can hold the seat of the director and know that I go home at the end of the day and that I have a beautiful life and that I'm not these characters, no matter how beautiful or um, chaotic the stage is, what's happening on the stage, the story on the stage is. That's really helpful. And I emphasized last week that it was really helpful to me to include love in that dynamic. So in other words, the things we love, Aphrodite's spell, you know, falling in love or, or doing the things that are pleasurable and beautiful. That is also a great seduction and a great way to forget ourselves and lose ourselves because we are actually the director. But let's deepen that idea a little bit because I also referenced last week that our ultimate nature, according to these traditions that we're exploring, and indeed my own experience, I'm sure yours as well, or you wouldn't be attracted to this podcast, is that we're ultimately divine. That divinity 
is dormant and awakening within us. And the more we are able to access that and let it live itself through us, the director's position then, the human position in its ideal state just becomes a portal, a bridge from the divine to the human. So we are both human and divine, depending on where we're at in that continuum. And when we're really lost in the human story, we're up on the stage thinking we're the characters. When we're having a really incredible peak experience, we're deeply into the divine. We don't have those, nor can we sustain those 24-7. You know, it's a lot of energy to have a peak experience. And I've referenced one of mine and, and I've shared that with you with that psychedelic experience that I had. I have one more to share with you today. And we're coming in on the one-year anniversary of this second really powerful moment I had that I know was triggered. I'm using that in the good sense, not in the um, sense of, of having an emotional confusion. Um, it was prompted by the psychedelic experience I had. And it happened right at a year ago when I was traveling to Wyoming and I was driving by myself in my car. And it takes me about three days to get to Wyoming from North Carolina. And I was driving through Kentucky. And I like Kentucky, but, you know, nothing special was happening in terms of I wasn't meditating. I was driving. You know, I was just alone on the road. I was listening to a lecture by Neville Goddard about his philosophies, which I highly recommend. And I've referenced him before in this podcast, even though we're not totally talking about him right now. All his work definitely resonates with what I'm also exploring in mystery school. But I was listening to one of his lectures about manifesting, you know, which is certainly all the rage, all the spiritual rage about how we manifest, how we are creators, and how we do that intentionally in our material world. And Neville has some great information on that. But yet, late in his life, he was moving to ever more mystical traditions where it wasn't just about the one-off manifestation of an outcome that one would enjoy seeing, whether that was a financial outcome or meeting the right person or having a certain opportunity or traveling somewhere, what have you. He was ever increasingly at the end of his life moving into that divinity within nature and really if I could say it in any sort of clear way, really creating a life from the being state, from the B-E-I-N-G, the beingness. And sort of, again, being that portal, not just being the director saying, okay, I'd like to see this on the screen, or let's have this character do this. That can be done. That is within our skill set, if you will. And indeed, an aspect of why we are here, Jesus, or the Buddha, they performed miracles. And we too can do such things. Having said that, 
creating from a place of beingness, meaning I surrender to what life with the capital L wants to live through me and be in sync with that. That has even more beauty, more love, more joy, more peace than we can probably conceive of from our human perspective. And so that's the lecture I was listening to as I was traveling through Kentucky. And I don't know what happened, but I just had this moment in the car, again, driving by myself, where I felt like I had absolute crystal clarity, 100%. If typically in my life, on a scale of one to 10, you know, having a peak experience where you see things in harmony with your internal self and your external self and and you feel close to the divine or you feel a kinship with humanity, let's call that a seven or an eight. This was an 11. I had never had a clarity like this before ever in my life. And even in that psychedelic experience, which I shared with you, it wasn't like this because I was wide awake. I was in my car. I was driving. I was navigating traffic. I was in my human form with this absolute clarity. So it was those two things together. I wasn't, you know, having slipped into another dimensional state for a short time. That dimension visited me, if you will, in my human state. And it was me. I I see that now. And I see that from all of the work we're doing and all the exploration we're doing in mystery school. And it was me. That is actually how I think. That was the portal, very active um, and, and uninterrupted, let's say. You know, there wasn't any interference. And the interference, as we've talked about, are those filters and beliefs and roles and limitations that cloud our thinking. But for that moment in time, and it lasted about two hours, I have never felt more joyous, more relieved. I was laughing out loud in my car because I knew that nothing terrible had ever happened. (laughs) And I know that sounds absolutely insane because we look at our world right now. We look at all the tragedy and the horrific, horrific circumstances people are facing. And... Again, this is where we're entering deep paradox because I am not dismissing those things and we have a role to play. But just for by way of being part of this experience with me, just set that gently aside for a moment because I could see on a really, really fundamental level that I was the divine and that All that was happening was also the divine happening through all of the living beings that are here, all of the sentience, all of the divine intelligence that is here. And we talked about that in our lesson with love and strife. It is so easy to judge it, to to dissect it, to classify things as good or bad when it's all part of the play 
Even the parts we think we're enjoying are are the quote-unquote good things that we do in the world. That also is an illusion. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be a good person. I'm not saying that. But what is even more profound is to be an open portal in, in your human walk as best we can. So here I was in my car, and I felt complete relief. I felt joy. I felt, again, this, I, I felt so awake. I felt like I had never been more awake and alert, and I was seeing every nuance in the car and on the road. And I felt like I was having a conversation in my head with, I don't know who, um, <laughs> Again, I know this sounds crazy, but I asked just sort of aloud in the car, should I pull over? Is it safe to drive? Because I felt so present in that moment that it almost seemed too big to navigate a car. And just this gentle knowing came over that said, you're fine to drive. And I trusted that. You know, was that the inner divine? Was that my inner self? Call it what you will. I don't need to... Um, label that. I just know it happened, and I know I felt it, and I know it was connected to me and connected to the the most precious part of myself, which is also alive in you. And I felt so alert and almost wired with it, almost electrified with it, that I said, go gently. That was the other thing I said in the car. And I felt a, a slight lessening of the intensity. So it responded to me. It, it respected that I was feeling a little bit at the end of my ragged edge, which this is where we're navigating anyway, but it was even a little beyond what was feeling 100% comfortable to me. And it responded and it, and it, and it backed off just a bit. But there, this beautiful clarity, um, this beautiful joy, this beautiful relief about the human story and dance not being our ultimate reality, I guess you could say I was in touch with the part of myself who has never been harmed. And I knew every single person had that. And that's why I'm saying I knew that nothing bad, quote unquote, had fundamentally happened to anyone. That some of us are in really, really horrific plays on the stage right now. And that doesn't mean that as a collective humanity, we shouldn't be working toward having less horrific plays. Okay, I'm not abdicating responsibility for that. I'm not lessening people's pain or what folks are going through. But I'm saying, where do we affect that change? It's not on the stage. It is not on the stage. It's by being this portal and surrendering to that life force that is flowing through. That is a very different state of affairs. That is a very different, I would call, true power. So I was humbled. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how humbled and joyous I felt. And I felt like wealth. I felt like harmony. I felt like all of those things in some sort of archetypal sense. That's that's how I can describe that. 
It was the most beautiful experience. And it was so profound because I was in my Lori Green state of mind, you know, like I was in my body. I wasn't on some psychedelic trip or something where I had left the room, so to speak. I was there in my car, you know, and and in fact, I wondered if maybe I had had an automobile accident and had died. I, it was that profound. And I thought, you know, if my phone doesn't ring, maybe I'm on the other side of some reality here because I actually wondered if I was still on the earth plane, you know, it was so clear and beautiful. Everything seemed to make perfect sense in that moment. And it was a huge gift. And over time, uh, I then did get a text (laughs) and I pulled my car over and I thought, okay, somebody could still text me. If they can get my text back, then then maybe I'm still here. And I honestly didn't care. Like I could think of my beloveds, my children, my husband, and I love them dearly. But in this two hour frame of mind of absolute clarity, I knew I could never lose them. And there was no grieving them. It was just this incredible state that I, it, it is our home. That's what I can tell you. That is home. And I had that glimpse of it for that two-hour window of time. And I felt connected to everything. I felt connected to the grass blades I was driving by. I felt connected to Kentucky. I felt connected to everything. And it was so beautiful. And anyway, having um, stopped the car, I returned the text. And the person that um, had sent the text received my text. So I thought, okay, I'm still here. And I don't know, it was just a mystical, profound, beautiful moment. And I had a little bit of time the next day driving where I had maybe like a five or six level of that for about three hours. It wasn't the intense clarity of that two hour window in Kentucky, but I had an elevated sense of it for sure. And then I haven't had a moment since then where I had that absolute clarity, but yet it changed me. And I know that's why I'm doing Mystery School on the podcast. I know it's why I'm doing a lot of things because they matter to me in a new way. And it matters to me to share them with others if if it's helpful. Um, and I know that this work is happening through us in all kinds of ways, all roads, Lead to Rome. You don't need to hear this on my podcast. Um, you don't have to do a psychedelic trip. You don't have to do any of these things or read Peter Kingsley or read C.G. Jung. But these are ways that have spoken to me. And I'm just with a servant's heart and a goddess's sovereignty sharing them. So I just want to start <laughs> now that I'm halfway through um, the podcast because I'm trying to keep these mystery schools short, as I've mentioned, because there's a lot to sort of sit with with them. But I wanted to ask you how you're doing with this idea of love and strife, the stage being the director, being the portal. And with that, I'm going to just add this incredible idea today about all being divine. And I'll touch on that in a minute, but we'll just take a moment and just see how you've done, how it has felt 
if it, if it has resonated at all with you to travel this week with those ideas of actually watching as the precious witness as opposed to the players on the stage. So how was that for you, that being with stillness there for a moment? I find that working, and again, that's such a weird word, but because I don't mean to imply effort, but just practicing the muscle is what I'm meaning when I say work. It's just so ingrained in our language, isn't it? Practicing the muscle of watching and observing and not getting sucked into the roles of love or strife. And then taking that this step further now 
and saying everything is divine. I'm going to just read straight from Peter Kingsley's text on how he comes around to that. Because again, he's looking at very ancient Greek texts of Parmenides and Empedocles. And he is, Peter Kingsley, such an incredible philosopher and scholar that again, I invite you, if it's important to you, to see how he weaves through these texts and and distills the information, please dive in and do so, because I'm hitting these highlights for us here in the the podcast. But he's talking about Parmenides' peak experience with having had that vision with the goddess that I've referenced before. But this is Peter Kingsley, I quote, The secret of riddles like this is that nobody will ever solve them through struggling or trying to work them out. But if we are patient enough, they start to solve themselves. The trick is not to rush in gripping our bright lights and tools, but to leave all that behind and learn to get used to the darkness. Again, there's that paradoxical thinking that is not going to make any sort of rational sense rational in in the way that it has become warped we are actually serving the rational in sense of wholeness he goes on to say a few passages later parmenides is saying that anything you can think about has to exist for you to think about it i know this is getting weird just hang on with me this is that simply to think something is to make it exist is to make it real. The human law is that you will spend the greater part of your life desperately thinking of ways to make the things you want exist and the things you fear not exist. As for the divine law, the very fact of thinking something is the assurance that it already is. Okay, so right now, we're getting to that distinction about manifesting, you know, sort of in the in the way of, oh, I want to, you know, have a great job that I feel happy about. And we have a certain agency to bring these things into form. I'm not denying that we that we don't have that, but this is even more powerful. It's aligning with something that already exists. This is getting very quantum in nature, if you will, talking about this divine law. The very fact of thinking something is the assurance that it already is. In other words, that thought was not your creation. Life is thinking itself through you. Okay. And I can't say it any plainer than that. It's just something to surrender to, to lean into, and let live you, and let yourself be open to including the life you want to live on the stage. I get that we all have dreams and goals and things that we want to see come about, but it's it's this really nuanced position of where we're putting the gravity of that argument, if you will. We're not just sort of sending out these thoughts as though they first occurred to us. We're entering a flow that is already in motion. Almost to say, and and this is not unique to me, but that the divine 
that the cosmos are sort of inventing themselves in this present moment. We're giving birth to all of that right now, not in past, not in future, not in something we're sticking up on our fridge and hoping happens because we think about it enough every day. That is important (laughs) on one level. That is important to resonate with, with ideas that are things that we would like to be part of. But here, this is taking that into a deeper realm and saying, actually, I'm identifying with the part of me that already knows that to be true, that already knows that that exists, and, it, and I'm being thought by life because I'm such an integral part of it in the divine sense. So let's let Peter Kingsley help us out a bit here more because I know this is, you know, really trippy. He says, To say that anything we think has to exist, this may not sound the most practical of statements to make, so we need to see what it really means. We have built a wall between thinking and reality. All our waking lives, we measure our thoughts against what appears to be the realness of the external world. We decide to call them ineffective, pointless, imaginative, unrealistic, or appropriate, fruitful, constructive, realizable. With Parmenides, all these distinctions come tumbling down. For him, any thought is about something that exists, is just as real as perfect a part of reality as any other. Its criterion of rightness lies not in its relation to some solid, concrete, objective external world, but in itself. Every thought is its own validation. It needs no confirmation outside it. Whatever we are able to think is true. And the fascinating thing is to see how people react to this. Scholars rush like lemmings to qualify what Parmenides says. They claim that when he talks about thinking, he is not just talking about any kind of thought, but about right thinking, good thinking, true thinking, about thoughts that have a genuine relationship to reality. But that is not what he is saying at all. He is not talking about any particular kind of thinking He is referring to each and every thought we happen to have. Absolutely everything is included. And this is why the goddess's message is so difficult to understand. It would be very comfortable for our minds if she were to discriminate, to distinguish between right thought and wrong, helpful and unhelpful, good and bad. But this is nothing like that. The message is utterly ruthless in its generosity, whatever you think exists. The irony is that by accepting every thought, he is actually taking us beyond thought, showing us it doesn't matter, helping us to leave thought behind. By saying that everything we can think is true, by refusing to discriminate between thought and thought, The goddess is indicating that ultimately she is not concerned with thoughts at all. There is no understanding this by trying to think it through or work it out because anything whatsoever that you happen to think about will be true. There is no thinking about thinking because that way you fall straight into the world of thought that you are trying to define. There is no arguing because you are only arguing with yourself. The only possible way 
to understand is by standing back in the stillness that lies underneath thinking and sees things as they really are. It's like watching hundreds of colors, each of them trying to persuade you it happens to be the most important one, then stepping back and seeing they all form a single rainbow. Thoughts in themselves are always leading to division and separation, but all thoughts together are a single whole. We are our own enemy. Everything is one, and there is no need to struggle for anything at all because whatever we think already exists, nothing to fulfill, nothing to fear. Thinking is the realm of all that we know or think we know. And this end to discrimination is the end of all wisdom, the end of philosophy, as well as its beginning. It's where everything we work for or try to work out by ourselves becomes useless. And it's where the prophets step in, bringing impossible news from another world. Naturally, people who study Parmenides want to bring him back from the brink of such an abyss, to make his teaching reasonable, thinkable, acceptable, to dismiss his initiatory language as nothing more significant than empty figures of speech. But this is how logic once used to be before it was corrupted into reason. So here we've come full circle again about real logic, real rationality serving the whole. So this crazy idea on the one level, on the human level about everything being divine, everything existing all at once, all thoughts that you can think of must already exist, otherwise you couldn't think them. Okay, that's really crazy on on the human level and it's mind-blowing and it's mind-boggling and it is pushing us beyond thought. And it is also helping us not fall into the seduction of separation. Because when we're really invested, we're back on the stage calling things good or bad or right or wrong, as opposed to being the open channel, the portal. So I want you this week ahead to sit with this idea of everything is divine. When we're watching the play, we actually don't know, you know, from from the bird's eye perspective of the divine, what moments, people, situations are intersecting for the greater story, for the greater good, um, for wholeness, okay? And, you know, we all have those moments in our life when we look at really difficult things that ended up serving us in such an incredible way. But it's even beyond just that, isn't it? It's beyond just this human story. It's about going beyond thought itself because thought itself is a trap. And that's why I like Peter Kingsley's work pointing out that, hey, don't get seduced by the good thoughts, the beautiful thoughts. We like to think we're better people, don't we, when we just dwell on those thoughts. But then we all get to fighting about what the good thoughts are and what that means when we're acting it out in the external world. Go beyond thought. That is the safe bet. It's really in unknown territory. We're not used to that. But that's the safe bet. 
that is actually the secure bet, is to go beyond thought and watch and be alert and be aware and watch the universe inventing itself through us, the divine coming through us in the most miraculous ways. And yes, we do play a part in that. And we are also the conduits for that. So it's this new dance, this new mystery that we're allowing to unfold. So I want you to sit with that idea today. And for the week ahead, how it is to to go up to the very edges of paradoxical thinking, meaning we're going to go beyond thinking as best we can, and embracing all of it as divine. All of it, because we are at home when we slip outside of thought. And on that level, we're not reacting to the things on the stage. So thanks for hanging in there with me. I hope this is nourishing to you. I hope it's not too maddening because this is, this is home and it's uncomfortable, I know, and it is for me too. And that's when I know I have to let go and surrender and let it do its own work. It sort of gets in the cracks. It sort of gets underneath the skin and how I know I'm onto something that is right and well and whole for me is that I continue to feel lighter and more confident and more joyful and more loving and more peaceful. And that is the fruit of my labor with these with these concepts, which, you know, we're even getting beyond the thought of a concept. But let this do its experiential work in you this week. And thank you so much for traveling with me. Until next time. Take good care.
Hi, everyone. If you're enjoying this podcast, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if my work is nourishing your heart and imagination, consider supporting the Apothecary Podcast. Just follow the links to make a contribution. And for the full scope of my projects and offerings, including my weekly newsletter, visit LoriGreen.net.